We've got some fresh new young talent doing some things that I know you haven't heard before. One, two, three, listen. You gotta have a like the why, and we know our why. So you don't need to reinvent the wheel. Yep. Millions and millions of people have done this already. You can get help, you can get a roadmap, you can save a lot of time, money, and frustration. <laughs> Welcome to the Value Add Podcast with K&K. Hey, everybody. Value Add with K&K. Crystal Kenny here. Just want to say thank you so much for the support, for listening, um, the comments, everything. Keep it up. We'll keep going as long as we can. And if you like what you're listening to, like what you're watching, uh, tell your friends about it, leave us a review, maybe even give us five stars. We love those. That's how we can grow and continue to bring you guys value and spread the word. Thanks, guys. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Value Add Podcast with K&K. Today we have Casey LeBlanc here. He is the owner of New Venture Escrow. Thanks, Casey, for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. What's up, Casey? Hey, how are you doing? Good, how are you? Good. Um, so tell us, we just want to dive right into it. Um, we were kind of looking at what you've done in your career. You've done some work to escrow. You're, you're in the mortgage industry too? A long time ago, yeah. Okay. Tell us kind of how you ended up here owning an escrow company, which is like not the easiest thing to, I mean, we're in the industry. You're like, that's something like, that, wow. I don't think anybody grows up saying like, I want to own an escrow company when yeah. I get older. Because they probably don't even know what escrow <laughs> so, really is yeah, when you're growing it's, up. It's interesting. So I was in the lending space okay. and bought an escrow company and then looked at the entire landscape of the industry and said, why isn't anyone, it's such an important part of a transaction. Why isn't anyone paying attention to the escrow business, looking at it as a business? A lot of people are service providers. Then they go in and say, hey, I can run a business just by myself. So they take an escrow officer. They make them the business owner. So there's very few true business owners in the escrow space. So from that, I looked at it and said, this is what I want to spend my time doing. I want to make, make an impact in an industry. And escrow is kind of what I landed on. Cool. How did you even get to the point of purchasing an escrow company? Like, what? how did that whole thing go down? Like, I, you're in the mortgage space and you're like – this opportunity was it just an opportunity that kind of came up for you no you actually a lot of a lot of times you have to make opportunities happen and so in we were generating a lot of business so we could direct a lot of escrow we were working with different providers and we wanted to streamline the process it was a broken process even still today as much even I'm, even though i'm in the industry it's still a broken process a process that's a work uh, there's a lot of work to be done to make it mm -hmm. what it should be so <clears throat> as such i looked at it and said I, I want to control the entire experience for the consumer. We can generate enough business. So I just started cold calling people that owned companies in town. Everybody told me no. So I, I decided that's not a great way to buy a business. What I'm going to do is start with taking them out to lunch. Mm -hmm. So I started with just saying, hey, can I take you out to lunch? I want to understand the escrow space. I had to dangle 500 transactions in front of them to get them to go on these meetings. And so I took them to lunch, talked about my business, talked about how they could potentially be a provider and then migrated the conversation into, would you entertain acquisition? Everybody says no at first. Um, and then so you kind of have to work it from there. They have Smart. to go home. They think about it. Some things pop up and they're like, hmm, maybe. Is that kind of what happened for you? It was. They said no at first. And, and then I got about a week and a half later, I got a call saying, well, maybe. What, what, what were you thinking about and, and, <laughs> yeah. And yeah. with terms? Because really, anyone who owns a business, there's always a number. Um, I tell everyone's business is for sale always. Yes. Because and at, they're at home. A, yes. And, and that, they're home. That's right. <laughs> that's exactly right. Right. Yeah. At a certain number, you're like, you have to entertain it or kind of be negligence on your part for your family's security and so forth. So anyways, it's about just taking opportunities or, or actually not even taking opportunities, making opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
it's interesting because I, I agree with you with escrow. Um, we know Jason Scali, you know him well. And it's the same thing as like, you're either like, you've got these big, big companies that are doing it. We were just talking about before and nobody's just putting any, like they're not, they're just, they're just letting it run as is. And people, the consumer doesn't really understand it. But when you're with us day to day, the transaction, um, like we were talking about walking into an escrow office and you're going to sign and you're in this little room and there's crap piled up and all this. And that's the experience people get. It's like, wait a minute, they just closed on a home or it's an exciting yeah, time. It's, a, it's, it's like, a, it's we a, should it's be a in an environment to match. Yeah. It's a celebration stuff. Um, I think that's something that you're bringing to the table. Like just, it's about the experience, I think for the consumer experience, for a lender experience, for the people that are working in your company, coming to the office, a nice cool office, rather than some dingy old office where the carpet's 20 years old. Um, how are you making an experience different? Like in all these things, like with your company? Well, first and foremost, we're a service provider, so it starts with the people. We yeah. we want to tell people we're in, in innovating and developing technology, but I think we start with the people first. So it starts with our culture and our people. Now we're recruiting for this culture around centered around innovation. It's taking a broken process, which I believe escrow is, and just trying to find solutions for all the different inadequacies or where we can add automation or just take out some of the, the redundancy that mm -hmm. escrow is, whether it's data entry or so many pa so much paperwork that has the same information on it. So trying to share and collaborate a little bit better with information. So what we did is we, we didn't want to forget about the people part of our business, but we also wanted to layer on technology. So technology is really where we make a difference, which where we can go up against 10 escrow companies and we'll be the only one who's actually, we have a budget for technology every year. And it's a, and it's a big one. It's it, it's what we started with and it's what we're going to continue to do as, as we grow the business. So simple things, right? It's like we're going to have, we're, we're the glue in a transaction. Uh, mm -hmm. We're going to work with the lenders. We're going to work with all the agents. We're going to work with all the consumers. So there's a lot of information flow that comes through us as a provider. Well, as a good escrow provider, we want to be transparent on what we've done, what's next. So we want to keep people abreast as to what's happened and what's next, educate them through the process. We want to, we're our, it's an interesting business because our client is the real estate agent, but the consumer is actually the one that pays for the escrow yeah. fee. Mm -hmm. yeah. So we don't want to just do everything for the real estate agent and not give any value to the consumer and vice versa. So we're trying to create value product for both. And so that's what we've really tried to do through technology. So electronic signature, uh, mobile app and technology that's gonna that's give cool. give up information on a more proactive way. Because what was happening is, is 10 years ago or 12, it's almost been 15, but when I started getting into escrow, we would get the same calls over and over and over from consumers and agents like, hey, did you get your deposit in? Hey, did we get loan docs? Have we funded? We're we're fielding calls on stuff where we could be much more proactive in mm -hmm. pushing this information. So what we've been trying to do is it's called capacity utilization, right? So if you have a certain amount of people, you're trying to up your capacity. Well, if we're answering calls on things that we could be publishing to everyone, we're going to reduce the amount of intake of calls and emails so our capacity goes up because our basic ex expense is people. So if we can do more capacity with the same amount of people, we're going to have a more profitable company. So that's what we do. Well, it's a better experience for the agent and consumer. It's going to be more profitable on our end, but it's a lot of work. It's hard to develop and innovate. It's costly. It takes a lot of time. Yeah. But you know what? It's like, I think most people want to just go on an app and check the status. Like they don't want to have to call you and leave them. Just like, I don't need to, I don't even 
we have a banker, but I never see him. It's like, I don't really want to have to see you. Not in a bad way. <laughs> Wait, but, hold uh, on. We have the same banker. You, of course, <laughs> want to see him. <laughs> I mean, kinda, I hope he's not listening. Like, no, I know. You I, don't want to. I don't want to have to, like, call him to get the information that I need. I want just, like, you check your bank account to be like, what's my balance? Or, like, I need to wire, send a wire in or whatever. You want to be able to do those things without having to call somebody and have them check and get back to you. It's just more like ease. If you're sitting on your couch at 9 o'clock at night going like, hey, what's happening with my escrow? I forgot to call them. That's when you're doing it. It's like That's when you, you, when to... you have the downtime, yeah. Or you're on the toilet or yeah, you're, whatever. you know, <laughs> whatever. waiting for your flight or – I mean, I know yeah. I'm just saying. Well, like... Don't worry. Our app doesn't have FaceTime capabilities, <laughs> so you can, you can do whatever you want you while you're check checking it status. on the toilet, guys. Yes. <laughs> That's yes. right, yes. But I think in general you're right, and there's a new generation of people that are coming up that are expecting these things and so that's, that's what i was just gonna that's as we position our company for the next 50 years and as we want to be part of the change in escrow and the evolution of how things are done we also need to be cognizant that there's a new generation of buyers and sellers and people that are going to be in the real estate industry they have an expectation if for example if someone sends me a document for like a contract and it isn't e-signable i don't want to do business with them yeah I, right. I just don't. I don't. I don't want. And I'm in. The, I have a scanner. I have a printer. I can do all of those things fairly easily. But it to me shows that they're not going to be part of the changes in, that are coming over the next you know x amount of years. Right. You know, it's funny you say that because um, the company I'm at, they're the ones that had the first digital mortgage, and they're all about that. And just right right before we got started, my one of my processors sent over and said to one of the investors we're seeing this loan to, "Can you take a DocuSign 1003 from me?" Yes, yeah, sends it over DocuSign, no problem. But it's not even can you take that, but is that lender, is this escrow, is that title, is this company set up to even take the DocuSign? Oh, we can't take a DocuSign. You're like, so I could do this, but you can't even take it. That's another problem, right? I mean, that with, with title and escrow and things, a lot of them can't even take some of this stuff because they're not set up. You know, electronic signature, the law was passed in 2001. We're in- <laughs> oh, my <laughs> gosh. It's 2019. Holy so if a company, if a title moly. or escrow company is not using digital signature, wow. that's on them. Yeah. Uh, so from a regulatory standpoint, those docu- those documents are actually more secure and they're actually easier to sign. So it's a, it's a win-win for both parties and it really is, just becomes a business decision for all of those companies. Did you um, did when you bought the company was this the name of it or did you change the name? I did change the name. Well, yeah. So, how, how did you come up with the name? I always just wanted to ask. You, yeah, no, it's an interesting story. So I had a business partner and we were moving in different directions just as far as where we saw the industry going. So I was trying to think, okay, as I reposition what I want to do in the escrow space, what am I doing? I was talking to a, I was talking to someone who had worked with me previously. I had my feet kicked up on my desk, and I'm like, yeah, this is going to be a new venture. What am I going to, what am I going to name it? And I yeah. just kept going back and forth. I know, okay, so it's a new venture, and I'm going to be doing escrow. And anyways, it just they were like pointed at me, and they said that that's it. Yeah. That's the name. And I looked at him. I said, let me, you go to GoDaddy or what? Yeah. What is yeah. the one where you can Google yeah, search GoDaddy. the name and new venture escrow was there. And so we immediately bought it and that that's how it all transpired. Um, I know you keep mentioning like the words it's broken the system, which we would agree. What do you, when you, cause you're doing escrow all day, every day. What, what do you think's, you know, the top broken stuff that, you know, if you could fix, you would fix it. And if you could fix it, how are you trying to fix it? Yeah, there, that's a great question. I think it's one that a lot of companies and people are trying to fix right now is that there's so many systems. There's a lot of people in a transaction. There's a lot of systems in a transaction and nobody talks to anybody. So I think there's some integration that needs to happen. I think that there's an automation that needs to happen. So being able to work with agents, lenders, escrow, title, a lot of everybody has their own system. 
Nobody's talking to anybody. There's a lot of document exchange that is insecure. So there's a security issue with all of those different things. So it's just time and money for those types of things to talk to each other. So I think we have to start at the very, very basic levels of information, meaning just sharing property address and some of the consumer name and contact information and data flow. Um, there's also a security component. I think security for our for our place is for escrow because we handle so much money is a really it's a, it's another thing. So as you talk about transparency and community uh, data flow and things of that nature, well, part of that is you have to have security as an underlying as an underlying thing. So we're working in a lot of different areas to try to solve that problem. I think that the escrow space in general, like I said, nobody's doing anything from an innovation standpoint. So at least with us, we want to talk about, look, we don't know if we have the right solution, but we're always going to be working on solving that problem. That's cool. And I know one of the biggest, um, man, the things you have to deal with is the, uh, I don't know if you call it wire hacking or the wire fraud. Yeah. The wire yeah. fraud that kind of hit in the last, um, was it five years, four years? It's just crazy. We're you know, are people now having to like call in, get the wire information and send the money? How are you guys kind of handling that piece? Yeah, it's a it, it's gotten insane. Last year was a, over a billion in wire fraud. Oh, um, and the FBI has now started to catch up a little bit. There was a time three or four years ago where they wouldn't take a case that was under two million dollars in fraud. Oh my gosh. Right. I mean, so <laughs> half a million dollars goes and they say, good luck. I hope you guys can recover it. You can file a police report, but it's not going to hit our desk. They just didn't have the infrastructure and they didn't really understand back then what the problem, what they were looking at. So um, for us, a lot of it is phone um, because still technology, even if you're sending encrypted emails, it's just not secure enough. There's there's a lot of ways to hack some of that stuff. So a lot of it is phone. The other thing, too, is verifying you're talking to the right person. So yeah. we're seeing now that these hackers have gotten so sophisticated that they're actually calling in. They've oh gotten – yeah, they've gotten mules. They're called mules. So it's people that actually go in and they actually <laughs> – yeah, and so they, they open up accounts. It could be a Wells Fargo account in San Francisco. And what they're doing is just they're going to be part of it. So I was actually at a conference last week, and they talked about how all these mules are working and how they're getting paid. You'd be surprised at what you could get a wire fraud mule for. I mean, it's it's almost nothing. So these hackers get in and they have access and they go out and they I don't know how they how they get access to the mules. But anyways, they, there's some sort of dark site that they can go on and mm -hmm. it's basically like it's basically like Tinder for wire fraudsters. So I mean, it's <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> swipe right or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> they match. They start good. talking. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, so. Tinder for wire fraudsters. I love it. Yeah, you've never heard that before. No, right? right? And it's so, awesome. but but it's a real thing, and it's a real it's a real concern for us. And so having protocols, a lot of it is training. So we have to we go through and we do quarterly training. We have an IT company that monitors our stuff twenty four seven, but we also do training with with them because things change so rapidly. So a lot of it is communicating on what's happening now, what's happening next. Meaning, how do we understand like someone calling us who they actually are, mm -hmm. and and we go through that process with with uh, with our with our team internally. The other thing too is if you just scroll over emails. So so I, I run a company, so I get people probably four or five emails a day to people on my staff saying. They, it comes from me, right? Quote, unquote, they just copy my email signature and send it to my controller saying, hey, I need a wire. Can you send $10,000 to this account? Right? And it comes from me they, on, on my email signature. It looks like my email account. But if you scroll over it, it's some really random email address. And so we, we go through and scroll every time. I don't ever make a request for a wire or Never, email, right? Yeah. right? But a lot, I'm sure a lot of people, a lot of business owners, we've, we've seen it all over town. A lot of business owners have lost a lot of money from this. It's just it's just crazy. It's just crazy that it's uh, 
it's so simple for them to hack, but it's like, but to get the money back, it's like gone. It's gone. Oh, it's, gone. it's gone. It's, it's just it's gone. gone. People it's don't understand. Gone. I heard it's... there's a very small chance you might be able to get it back if you catch it fast enough. Yes. But it's like within minutes. If it hasn't, if it goes from like your bank to the whatever the inter, what do they call the NRA bank or whatever before it goes overseas, some people yeah. I know have gotten it right there, but. I mean, but like you've you said, now there's it. these mules that are getting like a Wells Fargo bank account or whatever. Yeah, so yeah. it's not necessarily the case. It used to be, okay, well, international. Well, yeah. So we don't do international then, right. right? You don't do international wire. But I think what you can, it's almost like a murder case, right? Have you ever seen the datelines where they're like, we have 24 to 48 hours before yeah, we can yeah, solve yeah. the murder? <laughs> well, wire fraud is very similar because there is some lag. And sometimes these, most of the time, these accounts are new. So there's $20 in them. Yeah. Uh, so okay. it, that's a trigger from a banking perspective. So if you catch it, um, and there's a way to catch it, right? If you're doing 24-7, you're authenticating the wires to your escrow software, to the banking, to – there's a lot of verification that you can go through. So if it does go to the wrong spot, you do have about 24 to 48 hours before you can claw some of that back. Yeah. Wow. Um, so how are you guys um, – when you go out there, you know, you're obviously doing marketing stuff. How are you guys marketing yourselves with how you're – basically how you're bringing value, how you're separating yourself from other escrow companies? Yeah, so – to be in the escrow business, we all have to have good service. So you mentioned, you, you know, you guys are friends with other escrow companies. You, you've probably met with a lot of them in town being in the business for a long time. I feel like we all have to do escrow at a really, really high level. Mm -hmm. We all have to be good at the service part of it. Mm -hmm. So for us, what we try to talk about is doing things a little bit differently. So we, we talked about the tech. But the other thing that we do is we talk about leadership and development and being happy with what we're doing. So I, I'm a big believer in culture. I just love health and happiness and the like. how much money you want to make and then how much you want to work and trying to figure out, solve the problem of being really excited about what you're doing. I, awesome. I do a lot of interviewing and I, I look for one thing and it's enthusiasm. If you've okay. got enthusiasm, I can work with you. If you don't, like I, I've met with a lot of people in the industry and you could tell they're tired and burnt out, <laughs> yeah. which I'm okay with as long as they still have a zest for wanting to do things differently in another position. And maybe that's why they're looking. Mm -hmm. But the thing for me is enthusiasm. So I talk a lot about leadership. I talk a lot about how do we balance what, how much money you want to make with the hours that you're working with your family. So that work-life balance and trying to do things, look at the escrow industry as we don't want anyone working overtime. I want you to do. I want you to max out on your capacity, use our technology, and then I want you to go home and have a healthy and happy life. That's really cool. Yeah, because I think that the average. I mean, in a lot of like big escrow teams that you see, they're just working crazy hours all the time. I think that kind of people think that kind of comes with, you know, the business or that particular job. It's like a lot of escrow officers are working long hours and they're doing a lot of business, which is great. But like you said, you go home, you're burnt out, you're tired, you don't have anything for your family. And then before you know it, you're not that excited about coming to work every day either. Well, the way we look at it is that's not a sustainable business model, right? Yeah. And, and if you do that over a long period of time, if anyone does that over a long period of time, that's going to be reflected in the way that they're treating the consumer or the agent. So mm -hmm. that eventually catches up. So for us, I'd rather hire a little bit, have a little bit more staff, keep our capacity high so they're not working. Really, we don't see anybody working past 5 o'clock. Everybody has access to the email on their phone or cell number. So if an emergency comes up, but we're able to do what we need to do, really standard business hours. And honestly, I think, too, I say this even for us because it's hard for us not to look at our emails at night. But sometimes I say to Kenny, like, what? Does it really matter if I respond right now or is it the same as if I responded tomorrow at 8 a.m. or whatever? You know, it's it's not – what are you going to do between these hours that right. you can't do Well, tomorrow? can you tell me what you, where you guys landed on that? As a, <laughs> as a married couple, how do you guys handle that? Um, we Well, 
well, we have a kid now, you know, seven months, but you know, Crystal and I have some boundaries and rules. And honestly, if it's, if it's an emergency or it's like a deal or somebody's in getting escrow, but if not, we just kick it off to the next morning and I'm up so early, so I'll respond before they're up. But in Crystal too, like you said, what are we really going to get done? Right. Unless somebody's really expecting an answer or you're waiting to hear back. And I think we've gotten to the point too, because when I was younger, I would I actually had some clients that got upset with me for going on vacation or things like that. And yeah. now it's kind of like, well, I guess if you're going to be upset about that, that we probably aren't a good fit. Um, but it hasn't happened. I think that there's a, a level of respect too when you operate a certain way that people kind of respect you for it. And so I think if you do it right, it's fine. Um, I don't really work late because we get home and it's kind of my priority to be with the baby and then. Kenny, you know, will take some calls here and there, but we, yeah, we, we established some boundaries when we ran into that. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, there you Crystal's, go. I like this. Crystal's on my ass about it. Yeah. She's like, did you really have to talk that long in the phone call? Could have done 10 minutes, not 30. I was like, okay. <laughs> now I'm like, hey, you know, I got 10 minutes. So if that's it, I got to go over and call you in the morning. Bye. You know, it's like, so that's just kind of how, but you deal with it, you know? Yep. It's absolutely um, part of this business. You're talking about leadership and stuff. Um, I mean, when I just, when somebody meets you, I think you they can gravitate your positive, happy, go lucky guy, and obviously you're the leader, you're the boss, so that's going to drip down to the rest of everybody else. How have you? Not everybody is like that. Not every boss, everybody loves their boss and likes that. And I'm imagining people are coming to work for you is one of it's they get to work for your company, but they get to work with you every day. How are you kind of um, evolving as a leader? Do you have experiences in your life like that have taught you lessons? But you know, how do you have you become this positive guy that's like? You know, you're pushing that to everybody else. Well, it's, I think it starts at a young age. I think it's a lot of it doing the core of who I am and how I was raised. So my parents were super positive and they always inc- a lot of encouragement. I also believe that, and I wrote about this, I have a blog and I wrote, energy is my currency. And so I believe that it starts with me and I take it really seriously. So I pay attention to how I feel and what type of energy I'm giving other people. Because I think at the end of the day, we have, especially right now, we have a lot of choices in where we work. And I don't want people leaving because of there being a leadership void. I think in escrow specifically, escrow title, there's a leadership void. And it's going to get worse over the next 10 years. I think that there's a there's a level of people in the title and escrow space that's retiring, that's getting out of the business. They're just at that age. And we want we need to see a new generation of leaders that are moving up into into this role. And so in any industry, people leave because of their bosses. Right. That's just a fact. And so I don't want it to be based on me. So I'm very cognizant of it. So I've had several different uh, experiences, a lot of it coming from sports. I played sports uh, all the way through college and got a lot of that leadership and how people respond to things. But I think leadership is just something you're continuously learning, how people interact with you, what they respond to, how you're talking to them. So I think a big one is awareness, being an understanding of like what my energy is, how people are responding to that, and then how I can get better. Asking some questions, what levers do I, you know, is it, what is it the carrot or the stick type of leadership and how that responds to different people, different industries and at given times. So I'm really passionate about it. I've, I watch a lot of leadership. I study it and I, and I also yeah. have inc- encountered it just in growing up playing sports. What sports did you play? So I was a football player. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's a big like, yeah. It, it, I feel like we, we've had... I've known a couple of football players and I feel like they have this really strong like team leadership mentality. It just seems like the sport in general is like 
amazing for that. We even had an ex NFL player here on the show, and I just felt he's an he's an apartment owner, and it was kind of the same thing you're saying. I mean, I met him out at the property when we were doing the management, and it was like, okay, team, you're gonna do this, <laughs> yeah. and I'm gonna do this, yeah. that, and then we're gonna report back, and I was like, go team. I yeah. mean, it felt like that, and it was super motivating, and it it does give you that kind of like sense of drive and purpose. So I feel like football. I, 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 I tell people I learned more in football and through that sport, especially in college, than I did in the actual classroom in college. I and think I, he would say the same thing. And I bet he would say the same thing. Yeah. The, the interesting part is that I work in an industry that is, I want to say it's 99, but it could be somewhere in the 90s percent women. Yeah, oh yeah. And so how that this is my background comes from a football locker room to <laughs> an yeah. escrow small yeah. business. Yeah. So. <laughs> you have to be cognizant of some of that, right? Because some of that does, that locker room mentality does not play in with the industry that I'm currently in. Now, while I'm a raw, raw, go get them, I'm very intense too at the same time. So I have to make sure that I am aware of like who you're talking to, what you're talking to them about. And I've had to really learn a lot of uh, traits that don't come naturally to me because in a locker room in football, there are no, it, you just go, you're, you're yeah. moving, you're, yeah, there's no time to like, there's no feelings. There's, no, it's can't just be different. sensitive. No sensitivity. No. It's almost yeah. like, it's almost like in business. It's like when you're on the field, it's like, this is business. Let's get to work. Let's win. Let's, it's not like, like you said, there's no feelings. Okay. Like so that's how I would want it to be. Yeah. But that's not necessarily always how it is in the, in our space. So I have to balance some of that, but I think I've also learned another side of it that I would have maybe never learned had I been in another industry. And that is this this idea that there are feelings in life and in business and some of that stuff. And so I you know, have to balance some of that with the people that we work with, which is sometimes challenging. How many employees do you have? Uh, we're close to 60 now. So wow. we just expanded into another brand. So, so Homelight Escrow is a new company that I started at the beginning of the year. And it's partnered with a tech startup out of uh, Silicon Valley. Cool. And so they generate listing leads to agents. And so we own the uh, settlement side of what they're doing as their expansion. And so it's been a lot Smart. of fun wow. to work in the startup space. I had never worked. I've never partnered in the startup space. And so they just move at a velocity that you've never seen before. It's go, 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 make a lot of mistakes, break things, pivot, move on. And I love that. That kind mm -hmm. of has reinvigorated like what we're doing. So Long term, just from where I see the real estate industry going, is that I know I'm not smart enough to predict where this thing is going. But we, if we work with partnerships on, on people that have a lot of money and a lot of intelligence, we're at least going to be part of the conversation. And so we'll understand things hopefully sooner than later so we don't become like the blockbusters of the world and things of that nature where they don't see these things coming because the real estate industry is ripe for change, right? We talk about broken processes sure. and things like that. Well, if it is broken, there's a lot of money that's trying to figure out how to fix it. And so we just want to be part there's of those a conversations. a lot of money, yeah. A lot of money that's pouring in. Yep. I think real estate investment from a tech perspective <laughs> is number one from it's venture crazy. capital. And so there's a lot of money being poured into it. There's a lot of money in real estate in general. So people that solve those problems will be really wealthy. Yeah, and I mean, that's when we sold our property management company was to mine, and mine is a tech Massive. startup. Yeah, yep. they, they uh, raise a bunch of money, and like you said, there's a bunch of mistakes and this and that, and some ways it's interesting, in some ways you're like, wow, but it's that's but this is what these people go to to change an industry. Right. And well, we, we just never seen it. When you're in it, you see it, but when you're like us, 
you're like you couldn't afford to make all these mistakes as just a guy that didn't go raise 50 million dollars to do it right like well they're really data driven like yeah i mean they're they're studying data all the time so it's like when you're down at this kind of granular level like this owner's really upset about this little thing they're like let me analyze the data (laughs) (laughs) where did it where did the software not yeah right right but i think a lot of people get in this mindset that silicon valley is a bunch of robots behind computers these are just these are just young entrepreneurial spirits that are all backed by a lot of money trying to figure out they're trying to solve problems i think it's a real creative process honestly i i don't yeah i I agree with you that i think a lot of people think they're just these robots but more than anything i think it's more of an art because like you said they're trying to to literally reinvent the wheel in a lot of ways like the wheel used to be like this horse carriage and now it's like on a car you know a rubber tire that that's essentially what they're trying to do in all kinds of different industries you know what they're really trying to do is when i was in gary v's office he goes they're trying to do one thing time they're trying to yeah. save time right yeah. now you have uber you hit a thing and you know it's going to come it saves you time you do amazon it's like all these things save us time and that's why we're using them and so for you you're like you are trying to save we're communicating with five different people why does that person five different phone calls for the same question how can we just push that data out and it, everybody gets it i just saved myself time my staff time which is in the day for you saves you more money and it saves your staff more time so they can do more deals. And at the end of the day, you make more money. And I think that's really what tech is trying to do in all these industries. Uh, it, it couldn't, yeah, you couldn't be more right. I think they're trying to save time and also give sec- what a, a seller wants security, right? They, oh, they all say yeah. they want the best price, but there's a contingency period that I think that a lot of people are looking at saying, do we need contingencies? Can't some of those things be done up front? I think people are trying to eliminate that idea of time and then balancing that with security of knowing that mm-hmm. this is the buyer. They're going to be able to execute. We want to do that in the shortest, easiest amount of time. So those are some of the things that I see coming from a real estate perspective because it doesn't take 30 days to do a deal. That's what we've all accepted yeah. forever, yeah. but it, yeah. should take, it shouldn't take 30 days to do yeah. anything. So... Anyways, I, I think there's a lot of things that are coming from a tech perspective uh, that are going to save save us time. And we're we're at a point in the industry where there's it's an inflection point. There's a lot of money being poured in. Some are going to win and some are going to lose. And so I think it's important as we look at it and we are in the space of who is going to win or lose and how are we going to be part of that process. And whether it's through development or through partnering with companies that are developing, those are all strategic decisions that we're all making or should be making or thinking about it at the very minimum. And that's one of the things in my industry I'm not seeing enough of. I went to the California Escrow Institute last weekend, and there was, I would say, 500 people in a room. And the speaker got up and said, how many people have been in the industry for 40 years? And I looked around, 40. 40 was the number. 40. And I'm not kidding you. It had to be over 75% of the room raised their hand. Oh, my gosh. I mean, what's the, 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 you know, you take an average loan officer, real estate agent, probably escrow officer. The average is probably has a six in front of it or a five. And that's an upper five, 55 to probably 65. That's what you're looking at. Yes. And that, and like you said, is that was what I was going to go to next is the person that we're working towards is not that person. The person that we're all building this technology and what I was going to next about the marketing stuff is the, is the kid that's 20 years old to 35. That's going to be the next, the biggest buyer. And, you know, from 2023, to what did I say, 2023 to 2035, that's when prediction is from economists, the millennials are going to be at their spending max. Yeah, I think that's right. when they're going to be inheriting. They're going to be in, not inheriting money. They're going to be out of, you know, they came into, they came out, like, think about it, these guy, kids came out of this college in recession. Mm-hmm. They're like, yeah, 
I couldn't get a job. Right. I got to live at home and everything got kicked back. And so now what's happening is, is people are like, why are they moving out of their houses? They only move out of their houses for one reason. They're probably getting like right now, they're, they don't care about having a place. They're like, okay, I got married. I'm moving my house. And then they're renting. Why do I know I'd buy? Because I'm my wife's pregnant. So this all is happening. But in that time period, that's what I'm looking at. We're building the marketing. And that's the next we're going to conversation is, is it's not even about technology. It's also how you're marketing your business too. Right. And that, that some of these title and escrows, they don't even market their business. They're just trying to go out and, hey, I have a rep and I'm going to knock on everybody's door and I'm going to do business. But why not start marketing to where maybe a consumer can see you online, that somebody can just find you online? through educational stuff, right? Okay, so this is going to drive you nuts. I don't mean to interrupt, yeah. but, but last year, it's not this year, so I already told you about the demographic that I was working with at yeah. the Escrow Institute, but last year, they did a sales and marketing piece for how you sell escrow business. <laughs> and I, I looked over at my banker, <laughs> and they were the, the screen that came up was, you have to build a website. This was 2018. 40% of the room... Hey, guys, did, you'll start building the websites over there. Marketing. 40% of the room did not have a website. Wow. 40%. What? 40% didn't have a website. That's a big, That's a number. big number. That's a big number. That's That's like those saying, are our competitors. That's like saying so. right now that you don't have an office, that you don't have a storefront, right. that you're not in business. I thought he said four. I said 4%? No, no, 40. Because I, I, I really couldn't believe it in 2018. That's crazy. Only 60% of our competitors had a functioning website, meaning just that there was a URL that actually worked. And it's funny because if you talk to a millennial buyer, they won't even tell you, but or somebody... They'll research you yes. because sometimes you don't think they are. And then sometimes I get comments like, oh, yeah, I looked at this and that. And I'm like, what? Like, yeah, I checked you out. You're like – and they're, they, like, dive in. They're, like – they'll, like, bring up stuff. You're like, oh. Like, I had some. I'll be on the phone with people, too, like new clients, and they'll say, like, oh, is that you in the videos? I'm like, are Google? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's me. Right. You know? No, so but, now but you're so like, right they're up. not going to tell yeah. you, but they're looking. And if, like, just like you said, if you're going to send me a contract and I can't docu-sign it, we're just not, we're not aligned. We're not going to do business. If they cannot find a website, they don't trust you. Right. It's negligence. No, 100%. Yeah. And, and you're right. As you go into, well, how are you marketing your company and how are you growing your business? What worked five years ago doesn't, isn't as effective today exactly. as it was five years ago. Mm -hmm. So, how fast things are changing, if you're not part of the, if you're not thinking about it strategically and differently and every single day evaluating what's working and what's not, I don't believe that you're going to be relevant in five years. I, I, told, a, I told a lady uh, last weekend, I said, look, I'm not, don't be mad at me. <laughs> yeah. I'm, not, I'm not the one who doesn't, <laughs> doesn't have a website and who doesn't do marketing. I'm telling you, if you don't do this, you're out of business. Yeah. So if it doesn't matter to you, then keep doing what you're doing. But this is it's a real it's a real thing and a lot of people especially in our space, mm -hmm. title and escrow, the industry in general, they've always done it the same way. It's like you said, hire a bunch of reps, when you need more sales, hire more reps, mm -hmm. when you need more sales, hire more reps, and they just keep hiring and there's there's very little processes or procedures around it and everybody's doing the same thing. So what what happens to real estate agents when they put a when they put a listing on MLS? All of those reps, we all see the same data. Yeah, that's when they get, get 482 emails, emails of hey, <laughs> yeah. and that's what everybody does. Congratulations on your new listing! Congratulations, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How many of those do you actually get oh as a real estate gosh, agent? It's like so many, so many, so. Anyways, for us, it's how do we get further up the funnel is when what we want to do is be top of mind when an agent is going on a listing presentation. So before they're actually listing those properties, that's where we want to be an asset from a sales and marketing perspective. 
We also want to be an asset to the consumer because there is FISBO business. There are people that are actually shopping for services. They're realizing what other what other purchase do we make that in, a consumer is spending $1,500, which is about average of what an yeah. escrow fee is, that they're doing zero research on what they're paying and what the value is in that. I find – I don't think anybody's or not. What is yeah. the fee? Like, what is yeah, in the, the fee? What's yeah. like, oh, escrow is this. Well, what are you getting? Like, is it like, you know, is that is that normal? Am I getting ripped off? Or Exactly. Like, Do some price comparison and then also look at it from the standpoint of what value are you getting, yeah. right? So yeah. in, with anything, it's not what you pay. It's what value you're getting for right. what you pay. 100%. So those are the things that from a consumer standpoint we think is is a must. And we want we want you to look at the different escrow companies in San Diego. We want if we're if we're not the best fit – then we, we want to lose that deal and, and figure out how we can be better. Absolutely. And that's, I think yeah. that's what real business is all about. Competition's is healthy. Competition is healthy. And that's yep. why I sit up and, I, and our sales team is like, don't tell anyone what we're doing. No, tell everybody. I, that, yeah. Them doing other stuff, doing stuff that's going to push us is good for the industry. So I don't worry about what others are, are or are not going to do. I worry about what we're doing and why we're doing it. Those are the things that are important to and me. And the sad part is, is how often, I mean, you give all this information out. This is like the thing that you hear a lot of influencers talking about. I'll give you all the information. I'll how give many, you the script. Yeah. How many people are going to go do it? Zero. Five yeah. percent. Zero. Well, in our industry, yeah. zero. Yeah. yeah. Not even five. Yeah. So it's funny. I'm in the, we're in the room with Gary Vee and everybody thinks, you know, what's the secret? What's the secret? So I asked him and I gave him my whole story and I said, so uh, what do you think I should do? It's probably on video. And he says, just give it all away. What do you mean? He goes, everything that you know in real estate, just tell everybody. And then he just shuts up. And a guy in the back of the room, because everywhere he goes, he has his team. And the guy's in the laptop. And he's like, guys, Gary's been telling you guys everything he knows for the last five years. And 5% of the people are maybe going to do it. 95% of them take the notes and all this shit. And a week later, they're back to their normal life. They're not going to do shit about it. And honestly, that's why it's like you just said it. Tell everything you're doing because – that means a consumer looks at you, you're like, wow, they're transparent, they're open. And really a lot of it too is, uh, is are they feeling connected with you too? Like, mm-hmm. like when, when people research you, and that's why people go with what's, why would you have videos now? It's like somebody can go and watch 20 videos and they'll call you. Like you said, they're like, I feel like I know you. I feel like I'm connected to you. That's why when we do the podcast, we have, like we're telling you, people find me. It's, there's a connection here. We're having conversations. It's real. We're not hiding behind an office and this. And it's funny because when we were talking about the marketing a minute ago, like all these offices with all these reps, they have a marketing person that maybe does flyers for them. Yeah, they, they create these cool flyers. That's all they do. Right. I mean, that person should be fired. You know, it's like that, that's their marketing department. Right. Um, what other kind of stuff are you guys doing too for marketing? I know we were talking about events and things like what else are you kind of doing in, your, in the community of real estate, whether it's with um, agents, lenders, or just general public? Yeah, so <clears throat> we do do stuff with social media. We're yep. promoting our stuff. We are trying to do That's content awesome. to educate. Uh, we do have marketing people. So f- the difference between us and another escrow company is that we're actually marketing new venture escrow. So what a, what a typical mm-hmm. escrow company will do is they market for the agents, which is borderline illegal, but there's a gray area yeah. to it. So we tell our agents that we if we were going to we, if we were going to market for a real estate agent or as a real estate agent, we would go be real estate people. So what we're doing, <laughs> yeah, yeah. what we're doing is Sorry. actually marketing to the escrow community, but also to the consumer to try to educate them on what the differences are between Northern and Southern California, what the price structures are, what value truly is in an escrow provider, mm-hmm. and then different stuff. So, which is me, which is that I'm part of the pr- the process with marketing, meaning talking about 
leadership, health and well-being, talking about energy, talking about the people part of our business. So we know that people is an important part of a service provider. And so we're going to talk about the people part of it because there's a relationship that goes on between your escrow provider and the consumer and the agent. Really, our sales team is they're matchmakers, right? They're matching personalities with agents and our escrow team internally. So we want to have really good people. We want them to be healthy and happy. We want them to be productive. Those are all things that we're going to talk about. And again, a lot of it too is, especially with marketing, is try stuff and test it. Try stuff and test it. What do the agents respond to? Max, my marketing guy is sitting over there. Is he, he is responsible for some of the blogs. And he did a blog on staging tips. And he, when he wrote it, I said... Nobody's going to read this. It is our, it, it performs the best because in the re- only Good reason job, Max. And the only reason we know that is because we're tracking everything. Mm-hmm. Is a smart guy told me one time if you can't measure it you can't manage it and it's so true. Sure. Is ma- you have to you have to watch every single the data points are what is the difference between business today and business 30 years ago is that there's so many more data points for us to be looking at. So you don't have to be smart, you just have to watch it and if you know what you're watching and then you can adjust accordingly. And that's where you boom Go in. Yep. Pivot. Try yep. stuff. If it works, then you put gas on that fire. Exactly. And if not, then you pull back and try something else. Now, you have to be careful because sometimes it doesn't fire up right away. Yeah. You, like <laughs> yeah. you, you can't write a blog and say, okay, this didn't really respond well. I didn't get any deals from it. So now I'm not going to write any more blogs. You guys are in the marketing space. We're all here because we're, right. we're, we care and we're trying yep. new things. So anyways, I t- I, that's what we're doing. And I think that's what we're doing a little bit different. That's It's funny you mentioned that because everybody, or okay, I should say the majority of people ask me, oh, so you guys are doing a podcast and you're doing this. So are you guys like making money off of it? And I'm like, well, it's kind of hard to just measure that. I mean, it, it's it's like a long game. You can't say, like you said, I, we did one podcast and I didn't get one deal. So like, let's quit the podcast. That that doesn't work. Or you can't even do 10 or 20. It's, it's not really, it's more, again, like you said, branding and recognition and all those things. And a lot of people have a hard time grasping that kind of larger purpose of just being known and being relevant and how that's going to play out for you in the future. Like. It, go, it goes to time and money, right? It takes a lot of time, takes a commitment, and most people are not willing to put some of those things forward. And the interesting thing, I, I tell people, like, this this podcast, it's out there forever. Like, it's forever. So somebody's going to watch it a few years from now. They might call us, maybe not. These videos, they're out there, like, two, three, four, five. They're, they're forever. They're out there. So you're going to get this. It's like paying you in dividends over time several like years it's not the flyer that someone gave you that you're going to throw away right that's a great point yeah, yeah that is a good oh, that point. was a good little nugget there oh <laughs> not really like that yes um why do you guys think i mean kind of like with all the stuff here why do you think you're having success and growing because i mean let's be honest some escrow companies are not they're struggling they're losing employees um whether that's to retirement or to companies like you where they're like, you know, they're getting yanked on and they're, it's just, you know, it's a completely different experience. But why do you think you're having success now and what's going to continue to build on that success? Well, we're really excited. Again, it goes to the data point. So we are looking at what our percentage of the volume in San Diego is specifically. We're trying to be number one in our market. We're trying to 
have a market share that is like anyways my goal is 10 percent. i want every one out of every 10 contracts i want to come to new venture right now we're about eight percent so we're, nice. we're close but it's pretty close but the actually what's most exciting about what we're doing is that industry volume for san diego county is down i think 10 percent for the year okay. and we're up almost 20 percent. so nice. wow. what i didn't want to be was a product of market volume again we're all we're in an industry where it's still hyper local but we wanted to do things differently so we could so we could be different than just the market dynamics um, I think what is making us successful is that there's a little bit more momentum so when we first when you first start a business nobody knows your name nobody knows the people nobody knows what you're doing so the more that we can get out and tell the story and tell about what's important to us and what we're trying to accomplish I feel like agents are really buying into that that they want to be that they want to be part of this process too. And they want to work with providers that are really doing dynamic things. So it's not mm-hmm. just about your product. It's about an entire company and about a process, about your people, all of those things. We want to be dynamic. We want to be a value add to them mm-hmm. again, which is perfect for the <laughs> podcast. It's a little plug right there. Yeah. But, but I think it's really important is that we don't want to go sell escrow. We want to be a business partner with people and we want to offer products and services that are unique and different and that are extremely valuable because people are paying us a good, they're paying us good money. To, to execute at a very, very high level. And so from a sales perspective, we want to operate at a high level, but also as a, from an escrow and an internal and a processing uh, perspective, we want to operate at a really high level. So I think you get some momentum, right? You start to tell your story a little bit more. You start to do some business. If you do a good job, those things can really cause a lot of momentum. And I think we're seeing that now. And so that's why we're in hyper growth mode over the next two years. Nice. I love what you said because uh, – with our referral partners, we say the same thing. Like we want to work with people who are going to make us look good because you know that you don't want somebody to get referred and just not be happy, right? So it's like you give the referral and they take really good care of them. And that comes another referral from that person and their friends and their other people. And then also to have just a really strong team of people that work with you that you know once, you know, hey, I'm taking care of the purchase here or I'm taking care of your loan, but here's escrow. They're going to take care of you the whole way through. Get on their app. You can check status anytime you like. Like all those little things, I mean, that really adds to the value of the whole transaction. I mean, it's different than some of these escrows. I mean, we've had problems too where you can't get a call back or it takes them two, three days to get back to you or they're not responsive. Those little things are just little frustration points. And like you said, it is it is kind of funny. You, I, I never really thought about what you said is like if somebody's paying $1,500 for an escrow, that's 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 a good amount of money. It's right. like, wow. I mean, for that, people would do research and they would expect a certain level of service. And I think that it's easy for people to get away from that and forget if you're in that. And just think about like and grinding and you forget. Yeah. And think about what you can buy for 1500 bucks. Exactly. Well, and the other thing too is, so for us, one of the unique products that we offer, and I know this isn't about the product, but I think it's important from a consumer standpoint is if you close escrow through us, you have an E&O policy that lasts six months. There's zero protection to the seller and nobody has figured this out. The seller walks away with all the proceeds they have the most exposure from a disclosure standpoint, and they have zero protection. This is not like, hey, my microwave broke. This is like I have a cracked slab, and I didn't know about it, and I didn't disclose it. That buyer's not going to be happy. Yeah. These are lawsuits that are happening all of the time. So we negotiated a, an exclusive. It's not offered anywhere else. It's to protect the seller because, again, we want to offer value to agents but also add value to consumers. I think that the, the consumer part of it gets lost a little bit. Mm-hmm. We're all in the industry. We all know each other. We go to the same events. We network. We shake hands. We understand each other's businesses, and we're all kind of hunting the same way. For us, from a title and escrow perspective, we still have to remember that there's a consumer that's involved with this who's doing a deal once every 10 years. They have no idea that they're, they're, there's an, 
there's a risk and exposure that they have that they're walking away with a half a million dollars in proceeds. That money is not yours until you execute, and then you still have some liability from a disclosure standpoint. So, anyways, there's a lot of things where people are just not understanding. They're not understanding all of the things. There's no research being done. It's just like, well, whoever my agent, you know, sent me to, we want to be, that's why we want people to be educated. We want to know what are you getting for the $1,500 fee that you're paying? And also that's probably just not on a lot of people's radars, but I mean, as active owners, I can tell you those things do come up. I mean, it comes up more often than you would think. Right. Well, you don't need insurance until you need insurance. Right, right. Like you think we had a, we have a client that used to say insurance is a scam. And then a couple years later, tell the guy that he had a few lawsuits and, and fell I was off like, his... hmm, how about that insurance? Right. Yeah. Pretty I, important. I've had, yeah, I've had it for 20 years. Never had a claim. I'm like, you should be thankful you haven't had a claim. And, right. Yeah. You know? No, that's a so. that, that's a that's a I mean, that's honestly just that's a valid point. That's a, like a lot of people are doing one transaction every five years, 10 years, you know, if you're an active real estate investor, you'd be doing, you know, five transactions a year. But if you're like us, you're doing, you know, hundreds and thousands of transactions. So you see, and you know, you're thinking differently and you're in it every day. Um, yeah, that was a kind of a good point. What is, what's probably one thing, like one little nugget or something you can give like audience who's listening, like something about escrow that we probably don't know would maybe be surprised to know or something that we should know. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, what what I think happens is that people only answer questions that they get asked and that we need to understand as professionals, whether you're dealing with your lender, whether you're dealing with your real estate company or your escrow provider, we want to know everything. So if there is something that's going on, we want to know about it. A lot of people will just up and travel and take a vacation and not tell anyone. Or, <laughs> they do. Or they go, they, right? yeah. So there's a, just a lot of things like this is a this is a transaction that's typically taking 30 days. We all need to be working together for to execute on the contract that has been signed. And so I think being open and honest in some of that regard and working with your providers instead of just answering the little questions. And again, some of that is that you know everything that's going on with your life and that we're just trying to ask the questions to get to that answer. And so we're trying to understand the people and the process. Again, what? how do you like to interact? Do you like email? Do you like phone? Are you, you know, are, do you have any travel plans? You know, how do you want your proceeds? Do you want it wired? Do you want, there's a lot of customization. And again, we try to ask the questions, but there are, people have life and every, everybody's life's a little bit different. Everybody likes things a little bit differently. So as an escrow provider, we're just trying to ask the questions, but they're from a consumer standpoint or an agent standpoint, there's, it's kind of like dating, right? You're just kind of feeling yeah. each other out and there's a lot of dating going on in escrow, right? We're trying to figure out all agents, all lenders, all other providers, whether it's home warrant. Anyway, there's a lot of people in the transaction. And so being open and honest with us as far as how you like things to be done and what you guys actually need helps us to be able to execute at a high level. Um, so moving off a little topic, do you have, you seem like you would have this. Do you have a morning routine? <laughs> I, I do. Because um, you can't wake up. I don't know. You could wake up this positive, but sometimes there's preparation to enter the day and well, I do. I get excited. I'm excited just by nature. I think I don't know if like hundred percent. Okay, gotta be, yeah. okay. So you that's be. coming across. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. Okay, good. Yeah. No, just by nature. By nature, I, I I feel like I get up pretty fired up. I get up about five or five thirty every day. Um, I like to stretch early and I like to drink water early. But I don't just go straight to the. I'm actually not a morning gym person, so I don't wow. get. I don't get right up and just go. I actually feel like, and I've done testing on this. So one of the things that I do, just from a personal standpoint is I test all the time. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Tim Ferriss. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Tim Ferriss is big on – is his book up there? 
Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah Tribe of Mentors. That's awesome. Yeah. But what he's doing is just trying and uh. testing and always figuring out what's good for him. I'm the same way. So I uh-huh. want to figure out what's my optimal amount of sleep time. What are the things that I eat that give me the best response from an energy perspective? So I'm constantly. So I, I was married years ago, and I used to have a sleep monitor. So I would wear. <laughs> so I would wear. This I would awesome. wear. I'd wear a mouth guard to keep my teeth straight. I'd wear a heart monitor. And I had something that went on my forehead to. <laughs> is, it, is that the reason I'm divorced right now? <laughs> is that okay, terrible? He's like, what's going on there? Did you okay, know this? So I would get okay. a so I would get a sleep score every night. So my sleep score would come up, and then I started competing with myself on the sleep score. So I started to care more about what my sleep score was than anything. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, anyways, yeah. that's another story that's for awesome. another time. That's but, awesome. but so monitoring my sleep, monitoring my intake. Again, I'm kind of going off on a tangent. No, I like talk about my morning no, my morning routine, but it it starts early. I do stretching right away, so I yeah, I get on the the foam roller, mm-hmm. and then I drink water right away. And then I'm t- pretty typical. I jump in the shower, then I drink a, a glass of coffee, a cup of coffee, and then I get on the road. I get I get to work. I want to be the first one to work okay, um, as frequently as possible. I wear a suit every day. I know. Except for I Fridays, uh, which is, today is Friday, just for those who are listening on a different time. But to, but on Friday or Monday through Thursday, I wear a suit. And again, it's not because I'm trying to portray something. It's for me, that gets me in the mental state of mind of I'm going to work. I'm going to be a professional at what I do, and I care. Those are the things that I want. I'm going to kick some ass. Yep. I'm going to kick some ass. And it, for me, it's important to get in the mental mind state. So it, I equate it to sports. And how did I get ready for a game is the same way I want to get ready every single day because I take it that seriously. So that's my that's kind of my routine. I, I have found that 4 o'clock in the afternoon is my optimal time to work out. Okay. So it's in the late in the late afternoon. So I have to schedule, and I do this every Sunday, is I schedule my week out. I want to time block and be really effective on my calendar. So I am scheduling 100% of my workouts every single week because health is really an important part. That fuels the energy part of me and my business. And so I take it really seriously. So paying attention, being aware, testing everything, whether it's sleep or fuel or eating or any of those things. And then also what times that I work out that I'm the most, that's most effective for me. Some people are like, I want to work out at 5 o'clock in the morning. Some people are 10 o'clock at night and everywhere in between. For me, that's just what works. So then what's like your it. night routine? How do you prepare? Okay, so the night routine. See, I see. Yeah, I knew. Yeah, I, I knew you were. Routine. I knew you were gonna have. That's why I asked. Cause I was like, I knew you're gonna have this. I knew you're gonna be serious about stuff. See, I knew. That's why I asked. So you're not. No one. No. No one's gonna like my night routine from the standpoint of I do go to bed about ten o'clock every night, but I wake up at two o'clock every morning to return emails because my development team is overseas and I don't want to lose a day. So it's there. My development team's in India. They're 12 hours different, right? So right now I don't know what time is it? Anyways, it's 12 hours ahead. So if I sleep until five, it's already 5 PM there. I've missed a day. So I need to answer their questions every single morning, especially when we're in development or like a big project. It's every morning, two o'clock. So I've gotten in the routine of waking up for 30 minutes, returning a couple of emails. Now the other question is, is are you making good decisions at two o'clock in the morning? I don't, <laughs> That's awesome. I don't know. At this point, I would say I'm in a routine though, and I've gotten used to it. It's a lot of, it's actually kind of been fun to do. Oh, and, um, so yeah, two o'clock. You go in the right morning. back to sleep. Go right back. I can go right to sleep. I don't do I don't do the monitoring anymore with the headband. <laughs> yeah. I don't. I'm not tracking my sleep like that anymore. That that just doesn't work when you're single. So uh, <laughs> yeah, yes. It, yeah, yeah, exactly. I know. Yeah, it's bad. But That's anyways, awesome. so that I so I do uh, I go to sleep right around the same time. Um, but there's no other really routine other than that. Yeah, you know what's funny is I think um, 
I'm just I'm thinking like of a Tiger Woods with golf is, um, you know, golfers were they show up, they golf and then they're done. Then they go eat like shit. They drink beer, they had guts. And then here comes Tiger, which is, well, I don't really do that. I eat good. I work out and I'm fit. And I think he's created this new thing. And I think with entrepreneurship and that's why I asked you, because you obviously look fit. I'm sure you're fit. And um, this is this new generation. I think we we it's like especially in real estate, I'd say a lot of people that are retiring, they're not the healthiest bunch and this and that. And I think we can look at them and learn and go, hey, this is a stressful business. It's up and down. Some days are great. Some days you're dealing with somebody trying to steal money, you know, from you. And the way you deal with all this is, you know, you gotta you you gotta be equipped. So that's why I was asking you because it seems like you're really equipping yourself to deal with. This stuff, and on top of that, you got sixty employees that are looking at you too every day, and you got to be a you know example. Yeah, you. I mean, as as business owners, we're getting hit with different <laughs> things all the time, right? Things are coming at us, and they come at us fast. And I think the preparedness of you know getting sleep, being healthy, what you're what you're consuming, and then also what your energy level, because a lot of our work, a lot of our industry and business is in an office, and so you have to be cognizant of how much am I walking? How am I? And so I do, I have a stepper in my office. I, I stand up a lot. I move around. I try to be very active within an office while I'm in an office. And then when I'm not, I do the same thing. I try to be hyperactive and, and just paying attention to my activity levels because I think it's important because again, if things are coming at us all the time, we're making decisions. We need to make sure that we're in the right state of mind to be able to answer people. I, I look at it like I have a responsibility to the people that work for me to run to have a well-run company that's profitable and that's growing and that's giving opportunities. And to do that, I think I have to be the one to set the example, both from an energy level, a health level. So I have to practice what I preach from that. that th those are the things that I think build culture. And I think those are the things that are really important. So I want to make sure that I'm leading the way on some of that stuff. I think people put something on a billboard or in the break room, like, Hey, this is our culture. And yet they're not healthy or, Hey, we want to do this or that. And a lot of it is just metrics, but they don't care about how they get there. So I don't want to cut corners. I want to make sure that we're encompassing a lot of different things. So we add value. So if someone is making a decision on where they want to work in escrow, they would give us a, uh, at least an opportunity to talk to them because that we're doing something different and we care about them as a person. Those are things that are important to me. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. Um, one of the things, too, is when we, we were at the when was our event in Savita, you came to the event. Um, yep. You're talking about, um, which is a passion for us, is real estate investing. So I kind of want to ask you about that. Yeah. Um, how, when did you get started in that? And what, what, do you, where are you, what are you up to these days in that? Yeah. So when I got, I want to work with CPAs that do investment. I want to work with lenders that have investment. Pro I want to work. So if I'm an escrow, I need to be very active in real estate, whether it's residential or commercial, have, have life experiences to be able to talk to people about. Cause I, you can read a lot of books, but in, I'm telling you, until you get into the into the weeds of an actual deal, these okay. things are complicated. There's a lot of moving parts. Mm -hmm. The things that I know on my second deal, I did not know on my first deal. Yeah. You, you know, it's like it's like anything. So that that repetitive thing. So um, I got into residential uh, as soon as I when I was 21. I got into residential. I was buying uh, residential properties, and then I realized really quickly I didn't want to deal with phone calls on a broken sink. That was yeah. just not <laughs> yeah. that was not going to be my life. So I, I quickly flipped those and, and made a little bit of money. Then I held off, tried to play the market a little bit, which I don't really recommend. But 
then I got into commercial because I didn't want to go through the ups and downs of residential and I didn't want to take phone calls. So commercial and cash flow, those were really important to me. So then if there, if properties did cash flow, I could outsource the management of it and they would be able to handle those phone calls. Yes. So then I'm running a business, which is really what, what, where my strength was, was looking at a balance sheet and a P&L and how to run that and how to grow that. And so those, those things were where I started. And then I just accumulated, I, I think I have about a hundred, um, rental properties, multifamily uh, units, and then an office building. And then I'm acquiring an, a second office building uh, now, I'm in escrow now. That's awesome. So where's your, where's your, are your properties here? Or I think you said another's one of them. They're out of state. Okay. Yeah. So, so for me, I wanted to d- uh, diversify. So all of my, I didn't want everything tied up into the okay. San Diego market. So yeah. I wanted to look at things that were a little bit, had different stability. So I don't get the upside of appreciation as much, but I don't get the downside. So it reduces some of my risk. Um, and then some of my office stuff because I control the leasing with with my businesses here locally. So I had some more control there from just with prices going through the roof and stuff like that. Leases not they're not expensive or they're not cheap. So, so will you continue to grow? Um, if you buy an office, will you continue to buy multifamily, or is that something you love, or how's that work? Is that performing well? Or yeah, they're performing really well. Uh, it, it's been. A, Everything comes down to your management team, yeah. right? As you guys know, yeah, you're in the property management uh, yeah. space and have done that for a number of years. And there's a there's some good ones, but a lot of bad ones. Yeah. That's absolutely true. And I, I tell my clients all the time mm-hmm. that uh, your property management company can either make your life so easy or like total hell. Yeah. So, um, and that, that for me has always been, like for us, all of our stuff is in San Diego. I feel like I know my own backyard really well and that if I was going to invest out of state, it would have to be something bigger because I'm like, I don't really want to go to Texas to visit my apartment building. Well, it could, go, it could be worse. You could have to go to Oklahoma or like Oklahoma. I do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, I grew up in Oklahoma. Did actually. you? Yeah. Okay, just kidding. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> He's like, this got really awkward. It. This got really awkward. He's like, no, it's a okay. great state. Yeah. Where did you think anybody would say that? No, uh, never. Yeah. What are the odds of that yeah. just happening? Seriously, that that... I thought the odds were zero, but clearly they weren't. Awesome. Or are you being honest? I'm being yeah, so yeah, honest. Yeah, yeah. I grew up Mitch in too. Collinsville, yeah. Oklahoma. It's a small suburb of Tulsa. Okay, okay. I mean, uh, most of my properties are in Edmond. Okay, okay. yeah, I know Edmond. Um, I'm no. selling one actually. If you are, if there you're you interested, <laughs> <laughs> we're trying to do. I okay. left, and I don't plan on going. Back. Okay, yeah, it's awesome. But, you know, it's it's interesting that you say that. I would be curious just to know kind of like how you did your market analysis to decide where to invest just because the, I think that's been one of the things for us is like we've toyed with the idea. But it and, and a lot of clients come to us and ask us too because especially right now when the market's really where a lot of people think is that it's at its peak and they're starting to say, hey, like now they're we're chasing looking at yield, we Arizona call it, yeah. or New Mexico or these places. And I feel like that's a really scary thing because every deal looks great compared to here. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I looked at it from the standpoint of what the economy was doing, what yes. the growth rates were, and then I looked at a trailing 20 years on what re- uh, real estate has done from a Smart. multifamily mm-hmm. uh, perspective. So I wanted to find a growth area that had real stability. Mm-hmm. Um, I looked at price per door um, because then you can create your what your cap rate is going to be, what your cash on cash is going to be. So I didn't know anything about commercial lending. I just knew I didn't want to answer the phone of some of a tenant telling me their sink was broke. Yeah. So that I, it started from that answering the hey my sink is broke can you send a handyman and then scheduling it and all the nonsense that so much work just to schedule just so much yeah. work and I was yeah. like okay I start from I want to invest I need to find areas in which I can grow my uh, my my net worth and 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 those things so I knew I needed to invest I needed to figure it out and it just really came from not wanting to answer those phone calls to get into okay now you have to go do the work to figure out what is next and how to make these decisions and so. 
you go to okay what are you doing at night are you are you going home at night and are you watching television for four hours or are you reading books listening to podcasts yeah and are you asking a lot of questions so for me i don't when i was younger i would never do this i i didn't want people to think i didn't know so i wouldn't ask the questions Mm -hmm. then i got older and i'm like that's a stupid way to live like ask as many there isn't there truly isn't a dumb question and you ask a lot of questions you'll get a lot of really good information because you have to ask a lot of people because not everybody knows so i read a lot of books and then I started interviewing different areas. So I, I narrowed it down to five different cities and states. Um, then I started figuring out who's going to be my broker. I wanted to put the team around me together that was going to be able to execute at a high level. Found Oklahoma, settled on that, then just interviewed a bunch of people, flew out there a couple times. I was actually in Oklahoma in 2008. I didn't buy my first property until 2011. Wow. So it took three years. And yeah. it wasn't going to be, I'm just going to go because I know I need to invest in something. That was not what I wanted to do, and and so we were really strategic on the first one because the first one needs to be – you've got to be really, really careful on the first one because if you don't have the, the experience, a lot of things are going to come at you that you're not familiar with, so you have to be able to have some – there has to be a little wiggle room. And I think, like you said, getting that team because that's what I feel like I see so often with people who are investing out of state is that – you know, you're the outsider coming in and they're going to like, throw especially those... in California. Yeah. 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 And they're going to throw that deal at you that the, all their best clients didn't want. And like nobody in the state wants. Absolutely. And you're going to be hopefully their sucker. Absolutely. Know? Especially California. I'm not kidding you. Yeah. They think California there. We're all rich. We all live in Thank Del Mar you. on the beach. Yes. Thank you. And yeah. we surf all day. And, and we, we surf all day and, and that we've got a ton of cash. So it doesn't matter. Yes. And there's a real, there's a real so stigma that comes with being from California. I don't know, and even Southern California, because I think they think Northern California is a little bit smarter. And so when I was going to these different areas, they're like, oh, you're from Southern California. They'd like chuckle. They'd like <laughs> yeah. do the whole yeah. elbow, elbowing their friend. Like, we got a hot one. Yes. <laughs> we got a sucker. So true. Yes. And, for, and for the most part, they were right. Like, I was yeah. a sucker. Like, if you don't do your homework, you will get buried. You, it is not just, hey, buy a commercial property and you're going to be rich. Been sitting on the market forever that has problems yeah. yeah and if you have a property with problems and or a bad management company uh, it, you you need to get get out get out or don't yeah. get in it's, right. it's it's funny you say that because um just like you crystal and i spend a lot of our time outside of here you know fitness and family but a lot of it's um learning learning and we're not watching tv and that's why people like this and that's what we tell people like oh how do you do this it's like it's called work it's called when you go home, you don't watch Netflix, it's this and that. And I'm like, it's called sacrifice and work, but that's how you get ahead. But so I listen to a lot of podcasts and it's, you know, a lot of people do are getting out of this market. So they're trading and going to Texas, Oklahoma or Vegas or ever. And that's what they're saying is everybody brokers like, oh, it's California money. And it's this is the same. It's this mentality where, yep. oh, we're going to get them. We're going to get them on a deal. And because you're in a 1031, you got to place the debt. So um, that's cool that. Yeah, because you know what's funny is we hear do we do hear a lot about um, when Mitch goes there, but Oklahoma, I do hear investors going there and a lot of stuff going on. There's like a there's like a like millennials are going there too. That's the downtown. I think affordability and jobs and yeah, it's got, it's actually going. a good market. I mean, yeah. I know I I had joked about it, which yeah. I, yeah, I like which it. I will never do. Again. <laughs> no, it's like I love Oklahoma. It's ac- it is a, it's a little bit different. It's obviously yeah. a lot different than California, yeah. but there is from a real estate perspective, there's some there's some upside there. Um, and again, there has been. It's it's a growing market and economy, which I think is important when you're looking at commercials because people have to be able to afford. Uh, you know, the places that you're going to be renting out and the stability of it. So, but again, you get a two bedroom at one of my properties, you're looking at $800. 
So I mean, there's a, quite a difference in. That's amazing. But you're you're going. But I paid forty thousand dollars for the door, so yeah. you can still make it work. Yeah. Yeah, and you're going there for more too, probably of a cash flow model for you. You're like, I can come here and get appreciation in California, and then there it's definitely cash flow, so it's here. Because you know, if you play the market here right, especially if you bought eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve here, I mean. And honestly, when you, you just said, I make $800, but I paid 40000 for the door, It's uh, so we had a really large client that came here to invest, and his goal was if I can make about, like, 10, so if, if it was, like, let's say I paid 100 a door, if I could get an average of about $1,000 a unit, mm -hmm. then I'm making some pretty good money. So just looking at that from a cash flow perspective, that you it, that would have been like you saying, if I make $400, you are making 800 which gives you an idea of what kind of cash flow or like a return on your investment that you're getting. In it's not uncommon in, in Oklahoma to see a 10 cap on a good property and yeah. then a 25% cash on cash. Yeah. And That's if you don't know what that is, then you shouldn't be investing in right. commercial, right? Those are some very, very fundamental yeah. things that even a lot of people, when you when Californians go out to other states, they don't understand what those are, what those mean. And that's why California has such a reputation out of state that like these suckers in California just come in. You're right. They ha they sell something, like whether it's their residential property, they're like, I got to put it somewhere. I got a 1031 something into something. And they do, they make bad decisions when they do do that. So, yeah. And I think the bad decision is two things. Number one is the property management we hear is could be just kill you. Like a lot of people have problems with management. And the second thing is, is people go in and buy an area because they didn't do the research and then when they're ready to sell the property, it could take years. Yeah. Because they're used to this market where mm -hmm. now you put it on and the thing's gone. You're like, oh, and they go there. They're like, holy smoke. So it's not just chasing yield. It's like go somewhere where you know leash you can make cash. But if you got to get out, you can still sell in a reasonable time. You know, you might have else. Or at least just here. know what you're looking at. Yeah. Like right. you said, just you, you have to do your research and know. Because honestly, if somebody's telling me I can get like a ten percent return on my money or a twenty five percent cash on cash, that's like I mean that you just don't hear about that happening in Southern California for no. sure. No, it's impossible. That yeah, that, that so. would, nobody would ever sell. So if that you number. do know what that is, you're like Maybe I should go look at Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, totally. Um, so I always like to ask because your side um, of the industry, you know, you're you just you're seeing transactions, transactions. Or you know, uh, sometimes we're talking to escrow and they're like, yeah, we saw a bunch of last year we saw transactions and we see them coming off the market. And obviously, right now we all know the market's definitely a little different than it was five months ago, six months ago. Um, what are you seeing in the market? What are you kind of feeling? And what, what did you got, what are you kind of seeing on the horizon? Yeah. Well, spring and summer are always going to be the big months, right? So mm -hmm. we, we saw almost hockey stick growth, June or January, mm -hmm. February, which are always relatively slow, but then March, April, we just saw hockey stick level growth. We had our, actually our biggest month we've ever had in, in April and from the awesome. time. So we are seeing that kind of momentum, that domino effect kind of catch up. So I think we'll see a really, really healthy economy kind of, not crazy appreciation, but it's more of a traditional market where buyers and sellers can negotiate a little bit, which I think it, that kind of stimulates growth in transaction mm -hmm. volume because buyers are going to think they got a good deal. Sellers are going to think they got it's okay. So it's a little bit of negotiation back and forth. We're seeing inventory pick up. So we're seeing that there's a lot more on the market. Buyers have options. Buyers are qualifying. The economy is good. So I think it's as healthy as, a, as an industry. Even though transaction volume's down a little bit, I think it's really a healthy spot that we're in. And I still think if you look globally over California, San Diego is the best big market in California from a value perspective. So 
it's always a great time to buy. I mean, selling right now is also it's a good time to sell. You can either flip it, go to another house. I mean, there's a lot you can do in real estate, and I think people are interested in exploring those opportunities right now. Yeah, I mean, San Diego, we had uh, Alan Nevin on the show. You know him? Yeah, I know Alan. So he's, he was on, and I don't know when that's going to release, but it was a good podcast. And he's just like in love with San Diego. But, mm-hmm. you know, we have the four walls we call here Mexico, water, mountains, and Pendleton. And, you know, I still tell people I think San Diego is such a bargain still. And people go, that's crazy. I'm like, no, this is like, it's just an amazing place to live. I mean, you're here, we're here. and But the value of what you get, even some of the places on the water and certain places are not crazy expensive. You go to L.A., Bay Area, San, you know, Santa Barbara, all that, it's insane. It's insane. Yeah. yeah. And um, I think rates, too, are helping. You know, low, the rates dropped a little bit. It's amazing how. But there's a lot of buyers just on. I think a lot of buyers, they're sitting on the sideline, or all of a sudden I'm seeing a move. They're making decisions. They're feeling confident. They're seeing maybe a little dip in value. But it wasn't a dip. It was more a pullback and this overappreciation. And people are just like, now's the time to go. You're right. I think we got the perfect storm happening where it's it's the time of year that people mm-hmm. do a lot with real estate. We see a little bit of drop in interest rates that prices have not continuous. They're not continuously skyrocketing kind of out flat. of control. Boom. Seller expectation has come down a little bit. There's been some pricing adjustments. Okay. And now we're just seeing all of that come to a head right now in the spring. Which is great, right? That's good for all of us. I think it's healthy for buyers and sellers. So I think if you get a good deal, there's a there's good deals to be had out there from a lending perspective and also from a real estate perspective if you if you negotiate well. I agree. I think a lot of people say to us all the time, like, you know, it's getting really expensive. It's, I'm like, what are you comparing that to exactly? Because, you know, San Diego's continued to appreciate. I mean, that's even when we looked at like the bottom, when we hit like the financial meltdown, it was like real estate prices went down. We're like far surpassing before that, even like our boom prices are we're way beyond that now. So it's like it feels expensive today, but you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, it's not, it's going to seem like a deal again. Again, you're going to be saying, I mean, gosh, a condo, the market's really a condo never sold last boom. A condo, all the new development never sold for a million dollars in Mission Valley. Now you're in Savito, we're about to relive. People are regularly buying one, them two, one, two. Like, this, Nobody would have ever said millions in yeah. Mission Valley. Never. No. Now, yes. I mean, right. Apex is selling for one, four for a house. There's wow. no, I mean, so this is, you know, this is what you're seeing. And so I, I think people realize, like, the smartest people I know. They're like, one piece of advice I'll leave you with. The big real estate guys are like, just know your market cycles, you know, and look at them. I mean, so, but now, like you said, I do agree with the perfect storm. What's, um, what do you think you see changing in the future in the next, you know, I know two, three years in escrow? So I think that uh, cash buyers, I buyers is a big thing for all of us in the industry to pay attention to. So um, as you, if you're a consumer and you want to sell your home, it used to be if you got a cash buyer, you're going to take a 30% haircut, right? So mm-hmm. if your home was worth a million dollars, you were going to get 700000 to be to walk away in five days. Now that number is 920000 So they're saying right. for 8%, we'll let you get out tomorrow. And you're going to be paying probably 5% to a real estate agent and have to do all the showings and... So I think that the iBuyer is here to stay. I think the iBuyer is going to pick up some market share. So from an escrow perspective, how are we handling that level of consumer, meaning who are we working with that's offering that type of product? And then what are we doing from a a product standpoint to be able to execute really quickly? 
So those are things that we're thinking about. And I think that from a real estate perspective, I think that technology is moving there. There's big money in real estate funding and technology. And I think some of it is going towards this iBuyer concept where a lot of times people thought if I do an iBuyer, I'm going to have to take a big haircut, and, and but it is quick and easy. Now, it's not as much of a haircut, and so you're actually seeing that that's going to be – I think it's a trend to stay. Cool. What's next uh, What's next for you guys? What's next for your company? So for us, we're continuing to grow the brand new venture escrow. That's really important to us. We continuously look at what we're doing from a tech standpoint. So we're in the middle of our biggest development project that we've ever done, awesome. and we're doubling down on that that idea of solving a problem and how that – whether it's 30 days, which I think is too long, but however long that process in escrow is going to be, we want to offer a unique experience for agents and consumers and really all parties that I think is going to be really interesting for us. So we're doubling down on technology. We're continuously growing our footprint. So people, um, adding the right people um, is really important. And then on top of that, looking at a deal like we did with Homelight. So looking at Open Door and Zillow, and we're meeting with all of these tech companies and talking about integrating our platform with their platform and being their provider. And so what that does is it just puts us at the table with really smart people that are trying to influence how a real estate transaction is going to happen over the next 10 years. And so for us, that's important for us to be positioned with those type of people. So we understand what they're working on or what they're working towards. So we can make sure that our product fits with where the industry is going. So smart because you're leveraging too their data. I mean, they're doing all this analysis. Oh my gosh. It's huge. And some of the development too, right? They yeah. have engineers on staff. Yeah. They a have lot they have them. a lot of engineers yeah. on staff. So if they want to solve a problem, they tell an engineer, "Hey, stop what you're doing, go work on this." Some of that is just IP for me, it's intellectual property for for us and what we're doing. Mm-hmm. So while we're just a regional player at New Venture Escrow, right? We're just trying to dominate the San Diego market right now and be number 1. Well, they're looking at it on a global national level. So we're able to extract a lot of different information on how business is done, what's working in other places, what's not working. And then we're talking about shaping the industry in different ways that nobody else is really doing. Mm -hmm. So for us, again, that just goes to asking the questions, figuring out what they're doing, where they're positioning their companies, what they're focused on, and what problems they're trying to solve, and then how we can grow with them, and also making sure that New Venture is going to be at the at the center of it from the tech standpoint. That's what got us in the door with a lot of these companies, and making sure that our product mix fit, fits with what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. That's cool. awesome. Yeah, it's funny. Um, Doug, the CEO of mine, when he always speaks, he says, I, mean, I know it's been years now, but he said probably over the last three to four years, 90% of the data that all these companies had have were all were all compiled in the last four years. Yes. So Agreed. he says if you take Zillow, for example, and you take Zillow and go back five years from now and before, they would value your house. But what they did in the last five years is they went and hired five hundred thousand data engineers and all they do is grab data. So when you look at Zillow now and you price out your home, it says this, but if you go to the bottom and all of a sudden I tell people you see this red stuff, it says if you had a new kitchen, if you had this, it would bump up their value of your house. And I said, where do you think they get that? So they're taking every home that sells, and they go, what's in this home? And they just grab all the data and throw it in there. And so we're getting crazy, crazy data. And one of the things um, was interesting you said is you guys are always trying to move. And you know, you might, there might be a goal that's maybe it's impossible. You're like, I'm going to keep striving for it. One of the companies out there that does mortgages, um, it was a tech startup. Guy wasn't in it. They're still out there, um, raised a lot of money. His goal, I tell people, his goal is to close um, a loan, close a house in one day. Everybody's like, that's impossible. I said, yeah, but guess what? Every day he's working on that goal. Right. 
And you know what? Maybe he gets it down to five days or three days, but he's putting a lot of money and a lot of effort to do that every single day. He's moving the needle closer and closer and closer. I, I think he's closer to actually being able to execute on something like that than further away from it. I think it's it's always the people that, that see something like that go, oh, he can never do that. He can never do that. Those are the people that will never do it. Yeah. right? But it's the people that are talking about it, and they're, they're vocal about it, and that are putting it out there, I think, that have the biggest shot of actually making a difference in an industry. Car, yeah. car buying used to be really hard too, right? It used yeah. to take a long time to go buy a car. There's a lot of confusion around it, and that whole that whole pro, uh, process has changed. It's a lot easier to buy a car. A lot of pricing uh, availability, understanding what like what the market is and where where a car should be priced, and so there's not this wheeling and dealing of the backdoor deals and it taking you know 12 hours to get to buy a car. That just doesn't happen anymore. Housing is kind of similar. Is that there's a lot of data that people are able to access really quickly. And like you said, I mean. It, no, people are not sitting here looking at your escrow or your information at the at the lender. The underwriter's not looking at your deal for 20 whole days after your appraisals come in. That's not happening. What's happening is you have a person who's overloaded with no systems to be able to get the pile of loans off of their desk. So realistically, if you had that time to review all this, you could close a loan in a few days. Yeah, and the biggest, the biggest holdup, what people say, is the appraisal, and I said, it's not going to be there. Yeah, it is. I said, guys, in three, five years, the data they're going to have from all these properties, you're going to be able to go in and just be like, Fannie, Freddie, and all them just going to accept a, a BPO from these companies. It's already there. They're they're in the background working on it. They're just not telling you. Exactly. Trust me. Right. Exactly. And you, you know could. That. You could. Yeah. Do, yeah exactly. Because if you have an inspection, there's a lot of data that's going to tell you more than one person's evaluation of a property. I think. The appraisal industry is in jeopardy and has a real uh, – th- th- it's it's scary to be an appraiser right now. Freddie Mac – I mean, I could say this is not going to come out for a while. Guarantee rate's so big. They get all these – They're because they're very connected. There's something that came out. I don't even know what it is. There's an email sitting over there where there's – we're the first company to have access to it. But it's something where I think you can do a property analysis. And we're like, well, I wonder where they're getting that data from. Are they plugging into Zillow or Redfin or all of them? And I think they're already they're testing out a tool where they're probably going to be like, hey, plug this in. And maybe I, I haven't even gone there. I think they're doing a training. Ads. It's so I think all these people start releasing it. But there's something they're going to do. Hey, let's start testing these values. Maybe we'll order appraisals, but let's see how it comes back. And you're going to start seeing, oh, my gosh. They're so in the same. testing phase. Yeah. So yeah. They're, they're plugging in with GR rate because they're massive. And they're going to test something out. It has to do with values. And it's already happening. Well, there's all, there's also a product that's out there that's instant title reports, right? So uh-huh. these are instant. They're not underwritten. There's no data search. There's nothing on the back end. They're just it's they're looking at it like an insurance product, mm-hmm. right? They're very similar to how you buy auto insurance or things of that nature in that they're going to take a look at the property. Everything, Most everything is public. They can run a query really quickly and issue a policy within minutes, Versus it taking the typical 48 to 72 hours and there being a lot of man labor to it. And a lot of that stuff is really they're paying for sales and marketing to go out and get that business. So you can get an instant underwrite as far as looking at, I mean, tax return data with your, mm-hmm. you know, with the yep. IRS yep. and, your, you know, assets, so- taxes, you're going to have appraisal. I mean, some Fannie and Freddie, if, it, if it's approval, they will waive an appraisal. It, to me, it goes to the point of if you're not having these conversations and you're not thinking that these things are coming, you will be left behind. There's, mm-hmm. a, there's a slew of companies out there that didn't have these conversations or didn't think these threats were real, and technology just blew them out of the water. And so 
while we could sit and hypothesize on what's going to happen in the real estate space over the next 10 years, I just think it's important to be having those conversations what the threats are specific to your industry or else you have, you're in jeopardy. And, and really, it's that, that's where I see the biggest risk is that there's not enough of these conversations that are happening. And that's where I think there's an opportunity. Well, Casey, thanks for coming in today. I yeah, appreciate awesome. the time. Um, that was a great, great, great conversation. I think we're a lot of dialogue. I think people will get some nuggets. Um, where is somebody want to learn more about you, the company? Where is the best way to contact you and do a little more research on your company? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for having me. I had a lot yeah. of fun. We'll turn the mics off and continue this conversation for yeah. probably another half an hour. But um, <laughs> if you did want to, uh, our company's at newventureescrow.com. Um, I have some information on myself, a bio, and obviously all my written works of blogs and videos and stuff like that. Is where we are trying to put ourselves out there a little bit more. So if anybody wanted any information, they just go to the website. Cool. cool. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks for so having me. I appreciate it. This was awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, guys. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.